Shalom, Holy Scriptures and Israel is a ministry designed to share with the Jewish people the good news of the Lord Jesus Yeshua the Messiah and to instruct Christians on the Jewish roots of their faith. And now, teaching God's Word from a Hebrew Messianic perspective, here is Gideon Levitam. Shalom, everyone. We are going to turn today to Romans chapter 6. And in Romans chapter 6, we begin the third section of the book of Romans, which deal with the theme of sanctification. And I believe that every one of us who is a believer in the Lord Yeshua the Messiah need to get a hold of Romans chapter 6 to help us to understand why did God leave us here and didn't take us to heaven immediately after he saved us through the finished work of the Lord Jesus our Messiah. Romans 6, 7 and 8 together compose a passage or an area in the book of Romans which deal with the word sanctification. To be set apart for God. You see, brothers and sisters, when God had saved us, when Yeshua the Messiah had saved us, He wants us to live a life that is pleasing for Him here in this world. It's not enough to say, Hallelujah, I've got the ticket, I'm going to heaven, my sins are forgiven, and I'm very thankful to God for this, and then to continue to live a life as I please. It's not right. In fact, these chapters, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, deal with the very questions that may be asked by somebody. Somebody might ask the question. In fact, here the Apostle Paul is dealing with three objections that people might have. And the objections might be like this. One objection might be, well, if God's grace is so much abound towards us when we sin, so why shouldn't we continue to sin so God will give us more grace and more grace and more grace, you see? Because if you look at chapter 5 for a moment of the book of Romans, look how many times the apostle Paul, the apostle Shaul, is using the word grace. Look, it says in verse 15 of Romans chapter 5, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God. And the gift by grace. Notice a little bit further in chapter 5, in verse 17, he says, If by one man's offense death reign by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace. You notice that? If you go further down to verse 20, it says here, Moreover, the law enter that the offense might abound, but where sin abound, Grace did much more abound. Even verse 21 of chapter 5 of Romans, it says that as sin has reigned unto death, even so my grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Yeshua the Messiah our Lord. You see how many times the word grace is mentioned here? 
And you see Romans 6 following chapter 5, chapter 6 following that. And because we received so much grace when God forgave us our sins, somebody might say the very same thing that I just mentioned. He says, if God's grace had been abounded, abounded means we got so much of it, more and more and more of the grace of God, somebody might say, well, if I got so much grace because I sinned, So I should continue living a life of sin so God can show me even more grace. The Apostle Paul is dealing in Romans chapter 6 with this type of challenge or this type of objection. Another objection that he deal with, another question that he deal with, somebody might say, if we are no more under the law, then we can do as we please, you see, because we are no longer under the law. See, God gave the law to Israel, to our people of old. And now the Messiah Yeshua came and he saved us gloriously when we have accepted his work that he died and he was buried and he rose again. So we are no longer under the law, right? Well, because we are no longer under the law, somebody might say, well, I can continue living and do as I please because I'm no longer under the law. Paul answered this objection in these chapters 6, 7, and 8. Here's the third objection that we find out that he made ask and challenge. Somebody might say, Paul, you have made God's law sinful. And in Romans chapter 7, all the way to the end of Romans chapter 7, Paul is answering and he says, listen, the law is not sinful. The law is holy. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with us, with mankind. And so Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8 deals with those objections. And I want to be very clear for all of us today, dear brothers and sisters, I wanted us to see very clearly as we are studying today that it's not hard to understand Romans 6, 7, and 8. It is a matter of understanding us as the Spirit of God enable us to see what God has in mind for us as believers when He left us here in this world. So I'm going to read some of the verses in Romans chapter 6 for us today, and please follow up with me on those verses. I'm going to read the first 11 verses for our ministry meeting today. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. May it never be, Paul is saying. How shall we that have died to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized unto Yeshua the Messiah were baptized unto his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ, as the Mashiach, as Christus, was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, in a new type of living. And since... We have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with the Messiah, we believe that we also shall live with him. 
Knowing that the Messiah being raised from the dead, he dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus, or Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord. And we stop here with the verses today in verse 11. Now, I want to make it very simple for us today so we will all be clear here as we hear these verses in Romans chapter 6. And the one who is the youngest in the faith should be able to understand what Paul is trying to tell us here in this chapter if we will present it in a very simple way today. And so I want you to notice that in this particular chapter, Romans chapter 6, we are dealing with the importance of being set apart, sanctified. Actually, Romans 6, 7, and 8 deal with sanctification. What does that mean to be sanctified? It's the Hebrew word for kadosh or holy or set apart. And it simply means this. When God had saved us through the work of Yeshua the Messiah, He did not only save us so we can be going to heaven and have a ticket of salvation, but He also saved us that here in this world now, as we live here in Canada, in Israel, in America, in Europe, wherever we are, in Belarus, that we will seek to live a life that is pleasing to Him. What does that mean, a life that is pleasing to Him? A life that is set apart for the Lord. A life that is holy. A life that is separated. That means that once we lived, before we became believers, we lived an ungodly life. Now that I became a child of God, I am to live, and you are to live, a godly life. And Romans chapter 6 is very clearly helping us to understand what's happening here. You see, before we became believers, we didn't have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. We didn't have any desire for God. We live for ourselves. We live for the world. We live for Satan. We didn't care about the things of God. We could behave and speak and do and act in ways that were not pleasing to God. But something happened. Jesus, the Messiah, came into our lives. He forgave me. He forgave all my sins, all our sins. And now he wants us to live a different kind of life. A life that is not, I would say, perfect because we cannot be perfect here in this world, but a life that is pleasing to him. Now, mind you, we have the Holy Spirit of God that can give us a life that is suitable totally for the Lord. But because we experience this, of the old nature that we have, we often fail and we don't live the life that is pleasing totally for the Lord. But there is no reason for us not to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And so now notice that in Romans chapter 6, I didn't read the whole chapter, I read only the first 11 verses, but there are three words that I mention here that should be brought up to the surface. The first one is the word to know. The second one is the word to reckon, and the word reckon is to consider it true. And the third word is the word yield. Three words. In this chapter 6, all these three words are being presented before us. We are to know in our mind, we are to reckon in our hearts, and we are to yield in our will. You know, all of us have mind, heart, and will. In our mind, we understand things. 
In our hearts we feel and we reckon things. And in our will we are acting upon what we know and what we reckon. All of us have a head, we have a heart, and we have a will. And we are responsible now as believers to know in our mind, to reckon it, the truth that we have learned in our hearts, and to submit to the will of God, and having our will subject to the will of God. And so Paul, in those verses, actually in the whole chapter 6, deal with these three areas, our mind, our heart and our will. And so he began in the first 10 verses and he tells us that every believer need to know two things. You have become a believer in Yeshua. I have become a believer in Yeshua, the Messiah. We are children of God. And we need to know things that are fundamental truths of the word of God. Here he tells us we are to know two things. The first thing, every believer is to know that when he had accepted the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, he or she died to sin. Positionally. Every one of us that have accepted the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, we must know, biblically speaking, in our mind, on the basis of the word of God, that we are dead, we have died to sin. The second thing that we are to know, not only that we have died to sin, the second thing that every believer needs to know is that he or she should no longer be servants of sin. See, servants of sin is where we serve sin. It becomes like a master controlling us and mastering over us. It's just like you have a servant, you know, in the olden times there used to be slaves. And the slaves were told by their master, you do this or else. And the slave had to do that. Because the master told him or her to do that service. And so we have to realize, we have to know in our mind, not only that we have died to sin, but that we should no longer serve sin. That sin would become like our master, like almost like a tax master that our people of old Israel have been in Egypt where the tax master hit them and told them, do that and do that and do that. They had to do what they have told them to do. And so in the first 10 verses, the apostle Paul is dealing with those two things that we are to know. And you know, all of us here in this room, we have a head on our shoulders and we have a mind. We know certain things in life, we do know but those are two things that we must know, biblically speaking, that God is taught us in his word through Yeshua the Messiah. The first one is we are to know that we have died to sin. Now, you notice the word know is mentioned here a few times. Notice it says in verse 3, know ye not. If you jump a little bit further down to verse 6, notice it says, Knowing this, and go a little bit further down in the next verse, in verse 9, and you will notice that he says again, Knowing that. See? Paul is very clear. He says, You know that. You need to know that in your mind on the basis of the Scriptures, the Word of God. So he began in verses 1 to 5, and the first thing that we need to know, that he tells the believer that we need to know, that we are really dead to sin. Have you ever been in a funeral service? Have you ever seen a dead person? Dead person does not react. 
That person does not move. That person does not speak. That person does not say anything. That person simply is dead. He can no longer do things that he has done when he was alive. Now that's what happened to you and I, beloved brothers and sisters, when we have accepted Yeshua the Messiah. When we have accepted Yeshua the Messiah as our Lord and as our Savior, God look at us. He looks at us as we have been just like the Lord Jesus the Messiah, perfect, sinless. Not because of ourselves, of course, but because of what Yeshua has done for us on the tree. God look at us, and he must look at us this way. You know why? Because had he not looked at us through Christ, through the Mashiach, through the Messiah, he would have never could forgive our sins. See, God look at you and I, and he sees us exactly as he sees Yeshua, his beloved son, the Messiah. Perfect, white as snow, clear cut. Positionally, God looks at us and he says, I see Gideon, I see any one of us, I see you in the Messiah. Otherwise, how we could ever enter into heaven? If God see one speck of sin in us, he would have never allowed us to enter into his presence. Because sin can never enter into the presence of God. Habakkuk, you remember what he says, Thou art of a purer eye than to behold iniquities, and cannot look upon sin. And so, he looks at us, he sees us as pure, he sees us as we have completely, without any sin, and we have to see things the way God sees things about ourselves. And so Paul began here with the thought of knowing it in our mind. And that's why he says in the first verse there is a question. And the question is like this, that somebody might ask us, and we might even ask ourselves, what shall we say then in verse 1? Shall we continue in sin that God's grace may abound more and more and more towards us? See, this question is truly can be asked. Well, God showed me grace. God forgave my sins and he made me clean and he showed so much abundance grace upon me and he had given me more grace and more grace. So, if you have given me so much more grace, why shouldn't I continue sinning? So God show me more grace. I'll sin and he show me more grace. I'll continue to sin and he will show me more grace. Now I want you to understand, it says, shall we continue in sin? What does it mean? Shall we live a life of ongoing, continual sin? Of course, we know that we sin. It's one thing to sin. It's another thing to live a continual, ongoing sin. You know, when somebody lives a continual, ongoing sin without self-judgment, without confession, you might ask the question. Was that person really a child of God from the beginning on? Was that person really receive a new life, a new birth, if he or she live an ongoing, continual, habitual sin? The question may be asked. And so the answer, of course, that Apostle Paul gives us to that particular question in verse 1, he says, he says in verse 2, he says, God forbid, may it never be, he says in verse 2, and then he said, how shall we that 
have died to sin, live any longer therein. See, the answer is very clearly by Shaul, by the Apostle Paul. He gives us a clear answer. He says, listen, don't you, he says, in verse 2, he says, God forbid, he says, how shall we, and notice he uses including himself, here it says in the King James that are dead to sin, but it's better to say that have died. It's a past tense. It's already happened the moment that we have accepted Yeshua, the Messiah, we have died to sin. This is a positional truth that has happened to us the moment we have accepted Yeshua the Messiah. We have died to sin. So he says to them, God forbid. May it never be, he said. He says, how shall we that have died to sin live any longer than we now? Notice he used the word live. In other words, have an ongoing habitual lifestyle. You know, when a person became a believer in the Messiah, there ought to be a change in his or her life. We cannot say, I believed in Jesus, in Yeshua the Messiah, I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior, and carry on life as if nothing happened. You know, it couldn't be. It's not possible. You know why it's not possible? Because the Holy Spirit of God have come to take residence in the person who believed in Yeshua the Messiah as his Lord and Savior. And there got to be a change in our lives. There got to be a proof and evidence that something have happened in this person's life. All of a sudden we desire to read the Bible. All of a sudden we desire to pray and to give thanks to the Lord. All of a sudden we desire to gather together with other believers and to hear the word of God. All of a sudden we want to speak about Yeshua. We want to talk about Him. Things have happened. There is a change in the life of the believer. That's what we learn here. How, he said, how shall we that have died to sin live a habitual, ongoing lifestyle in the way that we have used to live in the past? Things have changed. Things are different. And Apostle Paul saying to them and to those who might object to that or might ask the question, we can continue in sin because, you know, grace may abound, you know. God can show us more grace so we can live a lifestyle of sin. And the Apostle Paul said, not at all. Not at all. And that's, you know, when unbelievers sometimes telling us as believers, they ask us this question. He says, what do you think? If you just say, I believe in you, Jesus, and your sins are forgiven, and you can go and do what you want? Well, the answer is right here. Not at all. Not at all. There is a change in the life of the one who have accepted Yeshua, our Lord, as his Lord and Savior. And so, in the first two verses, the question have been asked, and the answer is that, you know, he says, look, how we have died to sin. What does that mean, we have died to sin? It means that when we have accepted the Lord, sin in its principle, we have died to it. By the way, you notice he doesn't say that sin died, but we died to it. Because sin and the sin nature is still existing, it's still alive. But we, as believers in the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, died to it positionally when we have accepted our blessed Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And so now, notice in the next verses, verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul gives us an illustration and explains this to us with this illustration. He illustrates this in baptism. Now remember, brothers and sisters, that the Bible speaks about baptism in many ways, in more than one way. We often think about baptism, we think of water baptism. But baptism simply means in the Hebrew, as well, baptizo in the Greek, tvila in Hebrew. It simply means to be put under. 
It simply means to be identified with. And so sometimes baptism speaks about water baptism. When we go under the water, we are put under. Sometimes it speaks about spirit baptism, where we have been baptized, put under the authority of God, put into the body of Messiah by the Holy Spirit when we have accepted the Lord. Even the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, spoke about baptism. He said, I have a baptism to be baptized and how I am straightened, getting ready for it. He's speaking about the suffering that he was going to suffer on the tree when he was going to die for us. Here in this passage, the thought is not so much water baptism, neither so much the suffering, the baptism that the Messiah had to suffer, but here the thought of baptism here had to do with the Spirit of God's work in our hearts, in our lives, when we have accepted Yeshua, our Lord and our Messiah, as our Lord and Savior, He baptized us, He put us under a different sphere and authority of our blessed Lord Jesus the Messiah. In fact, we have been placed under the headship of Christ, of the Messiah, like we used to be under the headship of Adam in our flesh and in our old nature. And so what we are learning here from verses 3 to 5, that Paul illustrated these truths of us dead to sin through the word baptism. The believer is united with the Messiah by the Spirit of God. Now turn with me for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, if you will please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. When Paul is speaking about the body of Christ, the body of Messiah, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells us this very important truth that we learn here. He says in verse 13, For by one Spirit, notice that's the Holy Spirit of God, we are all, these all believers, every one of us here that is a child of God, and all believers everywhere in this world, we are all, as it says here, being baptized into one body. Notice he used the word baptism here, or baptize. Let me change the wording a little bit here, verse 13 again. For by one Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, all believers have been put under or placed into the body of Messiah. The head is in heaven, Yeshua himself is the head. The body is all believers who are under his headship, under his lordship, under his authority. That's what we learn here from this verse. And then it says whether we are Jewish or whether we are Gentiles. Whether we are slaves or whether we are free. Whether we are, in other places, talk a male or female. And then it says we have all been made to drink into that one Holy Spirit of God. Very clear. So you notice now from this verse that baptism here has to do with being put under. You have been listening to the Holy Scriptures and Israel with Gideon Levitam. Gideon teaches God's Word from a Hebrew Messianic perspective. For more information about this ministry, write to Holy Scriptures and Israel, Box 1411, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ontario, L0S1J0, or visit our website at holyscripturesandisrael.com. 
You are also invited to Gideon's weekly Bible teaching on Fridays at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. at Willowdale Christian Assembly Hall, 28 Martin Ross Avenue in Toronto. Holy Scriptures and Israel is made possible by your prayers and financial support. If you would like to support the program, visit holyscripturesandisrael.com. God bless you. Shalom, shalom.